So what have you been up to today? Um, we basically have been watching the Star Wars films. I got that. Um, I got that fucking um, Best Buy 4K box set. Oh, nice. Okay. And so, uh, like, uh, Christina's never seen the first three, the prequels. So, oh. so yeah, we just so you're, so you're you're putting her through that, huh? <laughs> yeah. She, uh, she's uh, you know, she's uh, we've been uh, like, you know, we've been drinking, or she's been drinking and making a commentary about it. I don't care at this point. It's kind of funny. So, um, yeah. yeah. I mean, you know, I mean, every Star Wars fan should at least see them once, right? Oh yeah, of course. I mean, I, I even went as far as to. I showed the kids just because I wanted them to see because they had seen the originals mm-hmm. and then they had I think or I think this was right around the time Force Awakens was about to come out. Oh, okay. And I was like, well, it's they had already seen the originals and I was like, well, I guess I'll show them the the prequels. Um, and I mean, they liked it, so okay for no. them they don't they don't necessarily know like what's bad or good, you know, for the most part. So. No, I, I, well, that's the whole thing is that, like, you know, I know a lot of people that, like, they fucking love the prequels. And I'm like, uh, okay, I mean, uh, I like the Clone Wars. I like the animated series. I I love it. Like, uh, that's that's something that, like, if your kids are into the prequels, um, if you, because if you have Disney+, Plus, just, like, show them the first episode and just let them go. And they'll deep dive into, like, I mean, it's like, to me, it's like, it's like Game of Thrones for kids because it gets really complex and like, you know, but not complex enough that a kid can't follow it. And it's like a hundred and right. um, 120 episodes, I think, of just um, of just like, you know, just Star Wars goodness if they're into Star Wars. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, Sophia doesn't care as much. Evan, he likes it a lot. Um, he basically he's getting to that weird age where he's almost 14 and so certain things, like if they're too even quasi-family or kitty, like he's getting to that age where he's like, I don't really want to mess with that. You know what I mean? Yeah. No, no. I totally know what you mean. Like he's he's probably more like a – like he's getting into like the Rick and Morty shit. Like 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 the stuff yeah. that's like – that's like – like it's it's still kind of kitty, but it's it's a little bit more adult. Um, yeah. Well, I mean he's even getting into – because he loves sports so much, he's watching like those – there's a bunch of different Netflix series that like – Yes, it's called like All American or something. So they basically yep. they have all these like sports series. And the thing with Netflix is, man, you have an um, a series come out, and you're pretty much guaranteed you're going to get two or three seasons, even if it's you know not even that great of a show, because yep. they give you a lot of creative freedom, you know, which is kind of cool. Yeah, no, and I know I totally know what you're talking about. Like, there's like at least a, like um, there's at least six or seven of those Netflix teen sports series that I've seen, and they're all aimed at different demographics, which is hilarious to me. It's like the algorithm is just saying, you need to produce a show about girls in high school that do soccer, that play soccer. Yeah, yeah, and it's really niche stuff, which is funny, but I mean, it's it's cool. We live in a, a interesting time uh, for entertainment, you know what I mean? Because you pretty much have the world at your fingertips, so to speak. So yep. it's, it's pretty cool. Except- uh, I mean, it's it's cool, but at the same time, it's like I spend – I think we've talked about this before. I spend so much time sitting – I'll scroll through my watch list on Letterboxd yep. for like an hour or hour and a half. And I'm like, okay, finally once I get to pick something, I'm like – you know what? I could have watched an entire film like at this point in time. <laughs> exactly. But 
No, I spent all this time scrolling because literally you can watch whatever you want. Yep, or you have the opposite fucking problem. For me, it's like, and you probably feel the same way sometimes, it's like you get an itching, like you'll be listening to a podcast or you do a deep dive on the internet for some strange reason, and you'll see a movie that you'll go, I need to see this damn movie right now, and you look... Exactly, yep. None, none of them, like, okay, so like as an example, was um this past week I was I was reading, I was reading something about Danny DeVito and it led me to thinking about ruthless people. And I was like, that's a movie I haven't seen in like 20 years. And then I read a review of it that talked about how, like how, like I read a review from the past that loved it. And then I read a review, a current review that was like, Oh, don't this movie's a piece of shit. You know, it's so eighties. And then at that point I'm like, okay, I got to see this movie again. Um, yeah, yeah. There's like there's no streaming service that has ruthless people. I mean, I could pay twenty bucks on iTunes to buy uh, to buy it, but nothing like it's not there. Like you know, it's just like, and I don't want to spend twenty dollars to watch uh, to watch a movie that could very well be a POS. Like like they they yeah, just you know. I haven't seen ruthless people in a long time, but it's funny. I was. Earlier today, I was like in the hankering for watching. I'm usually on the weekends. I, I get in this mode where I want to watch like just '80s, not trash, but '80s like comedies. It's they're not even necessarily good, but I just like having them on the background while I'm like cleaning or doing stuff around the house. And I was on, I was scrolling through lists on Letterbox, and ruthless people popped up, and I was like, man, I haven't seen that in forever. <laughs> yep, and, and it's like like for me, like the '80s stuff is just it's because it's disposable for me. Like you know, it's not. It's just, it's something from my childhood. It's comfort food. So, like, eventually it's always, like, you know, something something like that is always either playing on my iPad or on my TV. Um, because, I'm like, I've, I've seen it enough times where I can either ignore it or it's something that, like, is just, it's not going to be... I don't know if it's like, uh, like if I consider it a waste of time to see something new. Like, half the time I'm scrolling through my stuff and it's like, it's the too much there's too much stuff like that i want to watch i'm so indecisive about it so like oftentimes like you said i'll spend like an hour just scrolling through stuff trying to figure out what the hell i could what what do i want to watch and then ultimately it becomes this whole thing of like you know you end up watching the same damn like 20 things that you have on your queue list you know but like you know now that times have changed and i've got a lot more time on my hands um and you know watching has become a little bit more weaponized for me like i i have a purpose now like i don't know if you've been reading the site but um i have this this column that i'm started up like it's just called preoccupation it's uh, yeah it's it's just my journal to watch like it's kind of a semi-journal but it's more of like a a review like a one paragraph review thing that i'm doing and so it started off just randomly but then like i can't do anything random and I need it to be a little bit curated. So I'll go on these weird random tangents. Um, like this week, I went on um, I went on this assassins like like binge where I was watching movies about assassins or hitmen. I, okay. I wouldn't I wouldn't say assassins I, or I wouldn't say hitmen because I would say assassins because it was it started off with gross point blank. Then, oh, I love that. Yeah, uh, <laughs> which it does hold up after twenty years. It definitely or twenty two years, which made like I just kind of shook my head when I was like, 
it was released in 98. It's 2020. That's 22 years. I cannot believe that. But then you watch the you watch the movie and you see just how young John Cusack is in that movie. And you go, oh, yeah, it is 22 years. It is 22 years. Um, and then I followed it up with uh, Mr. and Mrs. Smith, the director's cut, which I'd never seen. Um, oh, man, that's another great one. Mm hmm. Mm. totally different movie totally different movie but that actually is a perfect double feature actually absolutely um so but that was interesting because i'd never seen the director's cut and i didn't realize how like i'm always i'm always leery of a movie that says that it's a director's cut with r-rated stuff and it's not really r-rated this movie is actually like mr and mrs smith the director's cut um is definitely r-rated uh it definitely has like a sex scene that like goes to r-rated stuff and then it also the violence is upped in a way that it makes it an r-rated movie and the weird interesting thing is doug lyman actually did a little bit of re-tinkering with the movie so i've i saw the movie the the regular i have the theatrical cut on blu-ray and i watched that a couple of weeks ago uh, or not a couple weeks ago, uh, a couple of years ago. So it's still fresh in my head. And he did enough to where I could recommend, and I'll talk a little bit more about it in my article, but I mean, I could I could justifiably recommend watching the director's cut, which is on HBO Go and Now. And that was something I was actually going to ask you about. Have you actually looked at and scrolled through HBO Go or Now? I don't know which one you have. I have, I, oh, I have HBO Go. Okay. I have Now. Because I don't, okay. I don't subscribe to, I don't subscribe to anything. I, I'm, right. I cut the cord. Um, but it's interesting because if you look in there, if you scroll all the way to the bottom of movies, they'll have what they call extras, and sometimes it could be as something as simple as um, the making of the HBO first look of something, okay. or it could be a director's cut, like which I was found shocking it was also how i found it was a couple of i think it was about six months ago they had um kingdom of heaven on hbo uh their streaming service and i was like i don't want to watch i i have the director's cut on blu-ray but sometimes you know you know how it goes it's like you don't want to pull out the the blu-ray right you just want to kind of watch us we can't be bothered to you know take the the two seconds it takes to go you know put the blu-ray and we want to <laughs> click on something <laughs> i'm the same way man absolutely and so like i was like oh fuck it no i'm not gonna watch it because it was the theatrical and then i was just i happened to be scrolling a little bit down and then it was like extras uh director's cut and i was like what and now i check and more often than not if there's a director's cut out there and now, now I know what you're going to probably think you're going to want to go and I'm going to tell you, no, it doesn't exist. Um, if you scroll, you can actually find if there's an extended or director's cut. I, um, I watched uh, the Dodgeball extended cut um, a okay. couple of weeks ago, but Abyss is not there. The director's cut's not there. Oh, That's what okay. I was going to say. Like, I know people are probably thinking and listening to us right now and go, oh, shit, Abyss, because I know Abyss is yep. there. You just yeah, scroll. I watched it. I watched it uh, probably about a month ago. Yeah, on HBO Go. HBO Go, it, it's crazy. Like I never would have thought. But if you scroll through, they have a huge, varied selection of of movies that are. It's really awesome. Oh I, yeah, I, I would, never would have expected. Like you know, I was scrolling through that earlier, and I'd never even seen this. But uh, there's a John Cassavetes movie, uh, A Woman Under the Influence. Mm -hmm. I'd never seen it. He made it with Kathy Rollins, his wife. Yep. And I was like, oh my god, I've got to see that. But 
I would have never expected it's going to be on something like HBO Go. That's the great thing about HBO Go, at least for me, is that I like recently I've been watching a little bit of I've been watching a lot more of it just because it it has these like it has a great mishmash of of both um, like newer stuff, of course, like the brand new stuff, but also it has like this great back catalog of things like we I think we talked about last week, you and I like not online or anything, but just via text uh, stakeout. Like I instantly told oh you my when gosh, I saw it. Yeah. And, I watched that was my Saturday night movie last last weekend, man. Yep. Yep. I out, had a couple drinks and watched stakeout. It's so entertaining. Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously it, there's some some crazy, you know, 80s sexual politics and, you know, <laughs> things like that, but that's kind of goes to the territory, you know. Absolutely. And I I thought it was going to be a lot worse than it was. Because there is that moment where he does cop to everything that he's doing, which is interesting, right. which was interesting. I mean, it's still it ends with him like, you know, spoilers for a 35 year old movie. Or, um, <laughs> it ends with him getting the girl at the end, even though there's no fucking way he should. Um, right. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, what I love about it is that it also it was a great transfer, like. Like a lot of the stuff that's on here is great transfer stuff. Like, like, like oh, they don't, yeah. you know, it's gorgeous. I, yeah, I was like, oh, okay. There's not a Blu-ray out, but they got a stream. They got a. They got a. They there must be a good transfer out there because that transfer looked really nice. And um, yeah, I mean, it's like it's like you know, for guys like us, like you know, stakeout. I mean, you know, other than a really shitty. DVD, there's not nothing like really nice out there, and you know, like that's the kind of bread and butter of like guys like like us that like '80s movies is like something oh, like yeah. steak, something like Stakeout, um, which is kind well, of. I'm it's... telling you, like, go ahead, go ahead. No, no, go ahead, go ahead. Well, I mean, Stakeout is one of those movies that it would be prime for one of the Shout Select series, mm-hmm. you know, from Shout Factory. Absolutely, That's like right there. How has that not happened yet? You know? Yeah. No. No. Absolutely. Or even like Kino or something like that. Or Arrow. I mean, you know, yeah, like yeah, yeah. any of these guys would like any of know, those boutique labels, really. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, absolutely. Um, uh, it, it's it's kind of great. Like, um, but yeah, like HBO, HBO Go now, like whatever streaming service that you use, it's like it's like I know most of people had like even me, like I'm guilty of it. I used it just for Game of Thrones or whatever, like, you know, Westworld, whatever, like streaming uh, True Detective, whatever show that was like of the right. zeitgeist, but they put together something that's like, it's like I love Prime because Prime always always has the dirt. Like they have exactly the... <laughs> yes. It, it's like if if you're looking for 80s, 70s, 60s trash, you know, just a bunch of, but they have so much obscure stuff mm-hmm. that you know you would never find anywhere else, and usually it's pretty decent copies. I mean, sometimes it's terrible, but. I mean, they have a, it's, it's a great B movie lineup, pretty much. Oh yeah, absolutely. But it's like it's like it's like pre, a prime, but like five steps ahead. It's like it's all the stuff yeah. that you. It's like um, I I was describing it to somebody as it it's, it's like anything that a B movie action star did. In the '90s, with a studio, I can guarantee you it will be on HBO at some point. That's right, exactly yeah. that's exactly what it is. It's like I think for like four months they had Sudden Death on there, 
And I, oh that's, my God. that's like one of my favorites. That's one of my favorite Die Hard ripoffs is, is the yeah, Die Hard in a hockey the, game. <laughs> yep. The classic, you know, Die Hard knockoffs. You got to love them. Mm-hmm. That's, that was a good one too. And that's one of the better Van Dams. I mean, he's, I, I'm partial to Bloodsport, but I yes. mean, you got to love some sudden death. Oh no, another, absolutely. You know, another, I was scrolling through and I haven't done a rewatch yet, so I don't know how it, it holds it up, but another, you know, 90s thriller that they don't make anymore that I haven't, I don't think anybody's talked about this, but I just was scrolling through HBO Go earlier. Mm-hmm. Unlawful Entry. Yes. Ray Liotta and um, who else is in that? Oh, the Russell. Uh, yeah, Kurt Russell. Oh, my gosh. And Madeline <laughs> Stowe. Yes, yes, yes. Another, You know, a stakeout connection there. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. Like, like, like the funny, oh, it, they have, uh, speaking of Madeline Stowe, they have uh, Bad Girls on HBO go uh go now that was another staple from the 90s yep absolutely absolutely um it's kind of interesting like you know like like yeah unlawful entry is actually on my list to to rewatch because it's 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 that subgenre of psychosexual movies like the psychosexual thriller that they don't do anymore like which is so no, weird I, I love that genre man that that is a great genre. I, I deep dived into that a while back mm-hmm. and i remember looking at my letterbox and i was like Damn, all these movies are really freaking good, and they're really, really entertaining, but they don't make them anymore at all. No, not at all. Not at all. Um, it, you don't, you don't even see them popping up like on Netflix or anything like that. Like as as far as like a a direct to uh, these streaming services, they just don't finance these type of films at all. Oh no, no, not at all. I I think that like it's really weird because um I actually was talking about like how. Um, I was talking to somebody and it's, it's, it's all to do with the fact that like, like before I think that like that component of the, like of the, like, you know, the, that kind of thriller, like single white female, like a basic instinct, there was like this whole thing about, um, like the mixture of like the sex and the tension and everything that was kind of like it, it's weird to say but it's kind of a, it was a little bit more freeing back in the 90s and now we're kind of in this state where like you know if you've ever noticed like movies don't have an ounce of sexuality in them and so like in order to have like some kind of like like psychosexual thriller you need to have that component there and if you don't have that component right. there like i mean we can watch john uh, we can john we can watch john wick like mow down 45 dudes with a pencil um but as soon as like there's a breast on screen, it just everybody just goes crazy. Yeah, for sure. It's crazy how, you know, those type of films and like and just in general, like in America, you know, in other countries, it's a little bit different. But in America, for sure, it's like we've gone completely conservative is the way of, you know, anything sexually related is not for film. You know, yeah, no, I went away from that completely. And but we'll, you know. Like you said, John Wick, anything else, which I love those movies. But as far as violence goes, you know, you can mow down, you know, 50 people in the film, you know, Mm -hmm. all kinds of death, murder or whatever. And totally fine. But if you have any kind of sexuality, anything like that, it's like that stuff's not going to get greenlit at all. No. And I mean, and the weird thing is, is like it doesn't even like those the like we call them psychosexual thrillers. But I mean, they don't even have to have an ounce of sex in them. Like like the one that I always like the the king of them, the one that I like that I always think of is the hand that rocks the cradle. Oh, yeah, that one's great. Yeah. I mean, and like 
I re I did a rewatch like maybe about three or four years ago, and it's it like every couple of years. Like that's my favorite one. So like I'll that one and Basic Instinct are my favorites. Um, and I'll go back to them, but um, and it's due for a rewatch. But like the thing that I watched that was so it was it's shocking. Like that movie is so just kind of like it smacks you in the face with a couple of like really weird key things in that movie that you're just not. Like, it would never happen now. Like, the whole thing with the Ernie Hudson character and how he's, you know, he he has mental disabilities. Like, that would never happen now. And then the Oh, whole, yeah, 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 for sure. The, like, and the whole thing with Rebecca De Mornay, like, smacking him around and says, don't you fuck with me. And then her, like, setting him up as a pedophile. And it's just, like, some of the stuff that it goes way south with. But in a in the best way possible, you could not do now. Like it would just be, it would be too much to handle. Like like people would just protest it. it it's like that. It's it's almost a subgenre of that psychosexual stuff. It's the it, it's where it goes bonkers. You know, yes, they call it like bonker cinema, and that's kind of what that stuff falls into. No, no, absolutely. Um, and there's another one. <laughs> I know. Okay, so like, I know that you you watched the stuntman. Like we talked about Richard yes, Rush and the yeah, stuntman. I, um, just the other day, yeah, two or three days ago. And did you had you seen it before? I hadn't had a chance to ask you. Was this a rewatch or was this a new watch? I had never seen it. It had been on my list ever since. Um, man, it had been on my list for a long time. I want to say I first heard about it through the eighties all over podcast i think okay okay or maybe it was a recommendation on pure cinema i can't really remember you know what it was pure i've always c- wanted to watch it may have been it pure, pure cinema okay. it may have been pure cinema because i think that their their hollywood episode i think i think it was i think it was brian that recommended it because i i think it's 78 i think it the movie was oh in is sem- it okay okay so for some reason i was thinking 1980 i don't know why no, I, I yeah, but I think it was pure cinema. I actually remember that that episode because they definitely talked about that that um, that movie, and I was like, oh god, I gotta watch this again. And I thought that I still had my DVD. Unfortunately, I don't have my DVD still, so it was a kind of a it was kind of like it, again, that's one it's of those almost... ones. That's one of those ones where it falls into that same category of when I'm scrolling through Letterboxd and I'll finally find something I want to see, but it's either something I don't already own or it's something that's not streaming anywhere you can't even rent it on itunes but finally the stuntman came up on i can't remember where i watched it um could it it have been been amazon prime Uh, or yeah no okay no i think it was amazon prime i believe um or heck i might have finally rented it on itunes i don't really recall now but either way i mean it was i loved that film it was such a a deep dive into like how movies get made i mean obviously it's a little bit different now that was back in the late 70s early 80s but it was so interesting, and you know, it's kind of like it's similar to Hooper in the fact that it has a lot of stuntman type stuff. Yes, um, and it, Peter O'Toole is going for it completely, one hundred percent. He is over the top in the best way. Oh, so good! Um, he's so good in that um, in that movie. Was he nominated for that? Yes, he was. Best actor. Okay. Yeah. Okay. He didn't win though, right? Because he didn't. No. He, Okay. No, no, and actually, you are correct. It was a 1980, so it could have been 80s all over. But I remember that Brian that and Elric. Oh, I was just going to say. I must have heard it. 
Oh, go ahead. I must have heard it on both. That's why. Ah. I must have heard it on both. Because I could have sworn that Brian and Elric made a huge deal about the movie, which absolutely they should. Um, yeah. I, and the one thing that I will say about that movie is I think that you told you said it and you put the nail right in the head, which is is that the the wink link in that movie is Steve Rails back. And that's sad to say. Oh, my God. That, that's the thing. That's that's the one thing that the only holdup I have with the film, like because I just wanted to give it like five stars, you know, straight up. It's mm-hmm. a fantastic because. I love that era of film, especially yeah. that style and everything. And I love Peter O'Toole, but man, the lead character Steve Rilsbeck is so—I mean, it's the typical thing you say, but like he—he he was so wooden. Like yeah. he had no. It—it it, I would have been surprised if he'd ever acted in that movie before, and I think he has obviously acted. But gosh, it was—I don't know how he led that film. <laughs> That's the one thing that just kept getting grating on me because his acting was so bad it was taking me out of scenes and stuff no absolutely uh it's it's just it's so just kind of oh like i even remember that even like before like like when i saw the the movie the first time that i saw it the one thing that i always thought was the weak link was uh was steve railsback's character and um and it's not like it's not like it's a stylized performance because like the story doesn't dictate it to be stylized. He's like, I mean, like, I don't know if anybody knows the story, but the story is basically Steve Railsback plays this man who's a, a criminal like, and he escapes. Doesn't he escape prison? Well, I don't know if he escapes prison. So basically well, the way it starts out is he's like playing like, um, like a, a, game like inside of a like a diner and the cops come in and i guess they're looking for him i can't yeah. i didn't really catch that if they were actually searching for him or if he was just like a wanted guy and they recognized him but he like gets away from them and then somehow stumbles upon a you know a movie set and then you know he ends up becoming a stuntman it's like one thing you know after another no no I, yeah ex- absolutely and the thing is is that he's what like the the movie? What's so great about the movie is that you don't really know if Peter O'Toole is trying to kill him or not. Which right, you know, exactly. Yeah, which it absolutely feels like he could uh, he could be killing him. Um, one of the things I I love is um, I think it's on um, the Pure Cinema Pod when Quentin was on the first time. Um, he makes a joke about how World War Two or World War One takes place at all at this fucking hotel that they're filming the movie at because it's supposed to be a World War One movie that they're taking that they're that they're making um, at this hotel in San Diego. And I just find that hilarious because it was like I had to think about that. I was like, oh shit, Quentin's right. It's like it takes place in just this one damn hotel, and it's like yeah. it, it makes it look like like it's like the whole entirety of World War One takes place at this hotel. Um, yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, the reason why I mentioned that is because of Richard Rush and Richard Rush's movie Color of Night. The director's cut is actually on HBO uh, HBO uh, HBO streaming service. Have you seen Color of Night? Yes, I, Bruce Willis. Yes, the Bruce Willis. One? Yeah. Oh my Br- God! Yes, that With- was that was one of those ones that you know it falls into that category of showing up on late night, you know, HBO, Cinemax, Stars, whatever, back in the nineties. Yes, constantly. It was on all the time, and that was right around the time I was probably in my teens. Yep. Um, and I was just, <laughs> you know, watching whatever I wanted to all 
day long, all yep. night long, especially on the you know in the summers. And that was one of those staples that came on all the time. So I'd seen it, I've seen it a handful of times at least. It's you know it's lower level, uh, you know Bruce, but it's a great psychosexual whodunit. You know, it's got everything. No, absolutely. And my favorite part about that movie is, okay, so, like, when I first saw it, I was like, this movie sucks. Like, I remember as a kid going, (laughs) this movie sucks. Like, what the hell is going on in this? I didn't get it. Like, I didn't get the whole thing. And then rewatching it um, when it came on to DVD, because, like, it was one of those first DVD movies that had, like, like that that was a director's cut or a regular cut and it actually had the commentary by Richard Grush and listening to it and i was like oh my god this movie is a like this movie is so arch it's so overheated it's meant to be like this it's meant like you're meant to like it, it's it's meant to be like homaging and making fun of the genre at the same time because i mean like some of the turns in it are just ridiculous uh, I, mean, I mean it almost feels parody and and you know in some parts of the film <laughs> yes absolutely and it's and it's a very stock like skinamax like premise of a of oh a, yeah for sure, <laughs> for sure a guy like a psychiatrist like as soon as you say psychiatrist and you're talking about 90s movies you instantly know it's either a skinamax movie starring starring shannon tweed or it's some <laughs> psychosexual thriller yeah like there's sure. there's no if ands or buts about that as soon as you say psychologist it's like okay so is shannon tweed starring in it or shannon one of the shannons shannon uh shannon tweed or shannon worry and yeah is she playing a patient that the that whatever dude that plays the be it Eric Roberts or whoever the fuck they oh, get God, <laughs> is is but gonna be so true but it'd so be true. right and then that shit's just gonna get bad but then this one is like this one is like elevated because you know Bruce it's Willis Bru- it's Bruce obviously it's, it's elevated because of him absolutely um, it, it probably wouldn't even have gotten a, a theatrical it did get a theatrical right oh yeah it it actually yeah, yeah. was the number so, one movie. I remember it being number one at the oh box office. God. I mean, it was released <laughs> in August. So, I mean, like, it was, like, August of 1994. Like, you know, August used to be the dumping ground. I mean, we were, right. like, you know, until The Fugitive came along and changed that all. But, I mean, it was, like, literally it was, like, a dumping ground in August. And it, like, it, it made a paltry amount, but it was still number one because of Bruce Willis. You know, I mean, you could get people in back in like the mid 90s, you know, anytime Bruce Willis showed up in a movie. I mean, there was just certain people like it's so weird how like not not to say that, like, I mean, of course, everything has fucking changed now since, you know, the COVID-19. But like how weird it is that everything has changed not like even before then, like like the state of what it was before. Like, let's just say, like, let's just go back to like November of this of 2019 and how weird like I look back on it and I go, this is so fucking weird because like, you know, you go 20 years before you go even 10 years before and it's like the theatrical, the way that things are done theatrically is so different than the way that they are done now. I mean, yeah, and it's going to continue to change, I think. Oh, yeah. Huh. Oh, absolutely. Like this and- is. For me, I mean, it's cool because I I kind of have mixed feelings about it because a the good part of it is I have three kids mm-hmm. and I have a son that's really involved in in sports. So when things are actually normal, not under normal yeah. circumstances, but you know when things are you know in the normal stage of life and it's not this COVID stuff going on, I can you know try to get to the movies. 
you know, once a week, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, it just depends because, like, I have to get a sitter, and then, you know, usually it's my mom, but still, it's like, it's such a process. It's not like me and Jess are like, hey, let's go see a movie real quick, and, you know, we'll go up to the local theater and, and catch some. It's not like that. Yeah. So it is cool that I can see a lot of these movies and talk, uh, you know, all about them, like, in the zeitgeist and stuff right when they come out, you know, if they're coming out at the house because it's a process for me to get to the theater. Yeah. Well, if I can watch them at home, that's nice. But the same, you know, the other side of that token is I love going to the movies. That's special to me. Even though it is harder for me to do, I want to still be able to do it. And this whole situation that happened, it does truly scare me because I'm afraid, like, these boutique places I like to, like, I like to go to, like, Alamo and Angelica mm-hmm. and stuff like that. And that, it makes me think, like, you know, Cinemarks and AMCs, I'm sure they'll be fine because they're going to keep, you know, playing the blockbusters and things like that. But, like, what's this going to do for, you know, the whole indie movie theater experience, you know? Like, we have a local uh, theater here in, in Dallas that uh, they play nothing but 35 millimeter, kind of like uh, New Beverly. And I'm mm-hmm. like, how are they going to handle this? Because, you know, how long are they going to be out of business, you know, and not be able to do anything, you know? Could, is it going to be months? You know, can it, they recover from something like that? Is it all going to be the same after this? I, I don't think so. I'm sure it's going to take a lot of time for it to get back to normal if it ever does. And that's and that's the thing for me is that it, it's okay. So like big budget stuff, it, it's not going to fucking change. Like like the no, studios, that's not going to change. No, I mean we're seeing it right now. I mean like I, like you've probably seen. I mean Top Gun got moved to a Christmas movie from a summer movie. Um, the MCU just basically just shifted everything by six months because they can. Yep. I mean you know like the bigger studios, that's not what I'm. I, like and the the bigger theatrical um experiences um like the AMCs and stuff of the world are are they're going to be fine. It's like once once this is all sorted out like say come on like say come July when everything everything goes back to normal, let's just hope. And then come August when things really kind of start getting rolling because like to me like I don't think that things are going to instantly happen, right? Like it's going to be a no, month. No, no, there's no way. It's going to have to be a month. Uh, at least a month, a month to six weeks. Um, but once things get rolling, the big budget stuff, it's it's not like it's not going to change that. What's going to change are the Alamo draft houses, all the, the smaller boutique theatrical, like the exhibition of it. Like, you know, the smaller indie uh, indie art houses that cannot go four or five months without uh, w- without paying their bills, like you know, it's not like, it's not like this is going to allow small businesses like them or somebody like you know, like Quentin owns the New. Be- I'm not worried about the New Beverly, like the New Beverly. No, I know. no, for sure. Because yeah. I mean, you've got someone that's he's not he's not hurting right now. I mean, you know, no. it's he's going to be fine when this is all done. But you know, like the theater I'm talking about. It's owned by some people that live in Dallas. I mean, I don't know anything about their financials or anything like that, but I'm sure they're not in the position Quentin Tarantino is. No. So are they going to survive this? I mean, that's going to be across the nation. And then if you look at it like from the perspective – I mean, think about it like these indie filmmakers. There could be the next great film that's coming out, but none of these festivals are open. Yeah. Pretty much they're all being canceled. So all these indie movies that are going to all these festivals, that's shut down. So if you had a film that was about to 
go to that market and possibly get you know bought by a you know a bigger company to distribute well that none of that stuff's going to happen right now no so that whole timeline is going to completely shift to the right um you know for better or worse i think that what we're going to see is so this is where this is where streaming services are going to are going to fucking kill like they're just going to come in i mean we've already seen it like i mean you heard about the amazon basically taking on south by southwest and making it a virtual making it a virtual film festival like and so like as long as you have amazon prime uh come in the next like you know over 10 days they're going to stream like 30 films and they're going to do it yep. in a way that they're going to have it at certain times where you have to log into amazon prime and watch the movie and that's the time and if you've seen the lineup fuck it's it's literally some of the bigger things that that got announced at South by Southwest, which I think that like it's unfortunate, but that's the way I think it's going to go. When all the chips are down, places like Amazon, Hulu, and Netflix are going to look at this as a windfall because, I mean, you know, Jeff fucking Bezos is giving a hundred million dollars supposedly quote unquote to like, you know, help out small businesses. I mean, never, let's not even, let's not even fucking talk about the fact that he's not paying his own employees. Let's, let's just ignore that. Right. That's, a livable that's, wage. Exactly. Fucking let's not talk about that. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna get into politics here, but if we're talking about the business of movie making and independent cinema, as we know it, it's going to change. And I think that it's going to be, in it, I it's an unfortunate thing, but it's also it's this weird kind of malleable thing right now, where like places like Amazon, Hulu, um, and uh, and Netflix are gonna be swallowing up these indie films and are gonna be putting them on their streaming service. Now, here's the other side of the token: you and I talked offline about you just buying you you going into the market with a big TV, a big swinging TV. Yep. Yep. I did that for a reason too. Exactly. <laughs> so much, you know, it's like, man, Ex I'm, I've got to upgrade because I'm sitting here watching movies and I want to watch them in, you know, the, the best possible, you know, way I can. Absolutely. And that's the thing. That's the asterisk of this situation, which is, is that we talk about exhibition and the thing is, is that the reason why you and I go to places like I, like out here out on the West coast, we have this arc light, we have arc light. Uh, which is like this boutique cinema. Right, yeah, I've heard of it, sure. Yeah, our, uh, we just have our first Alamo, but it's it's like, <laughs> it's literally two hours away from me. There's no fucking way I can make it out two hours. Um, oh. But but we have an Alamo now. I mean, we have the new Bev. We have these boutique places that cater to cineasts. Like you have, like catering to cineasts. When all said and done, if those things are not around anymore... I don't fucking want to go to any place else. Like, okay, fine. I'll trudge it. I mean, I may trudge it to the AMC, the local AMC to see fucking Black Widow. Maybe, maybe. But you know what? Yeah. I will tell you this. My, my TV more often than not beats every single screen other than maybe the new Bev, the arc light in Hollywood, which is basically the Cinerama Dome. Um, or places like that, places uh, the the Man Chinese, the El Cap, places that have premium, premium, and they care about their sound and projection, right? Um, right. 
I probably you agree. Like after, like we've talked, like we talked offline. I mean, you talked about Casino. I mean, Casino and oh god, yeah, yeah. I was about to bring that up. I mean, I've got you know my seventy-five inch setup. It's hung up on my wall, mm-hmm. and I'm watching you know Casino Royale in four K. And I mean, it's just as good as I mean. I've got surround sound set up, and I'm like, man, this is just as good as being at the theater because I'm sitting here relaxing in my house, perfect picture, and you know. And it doesn't get much better than that. I mean, absolutely. I mean, I talked like, you know, I just talked about like, you know, I bought the, the, the big fucking box set for star Wars. Those fucking, the picture on that is the picture and sound is fucking amazing. Um, when you talk about it, like when you get to that big of a, of a screen, right. And as long as the wait till you get to like some of the like it's fun because it's like you've just watched the big stuff wait till you get to the arrow and to the screen factory stuff and you start watching you start watching that shit i mean you're gonna be surprised at how good the image quality holds up um but i mean it's like when you have that coupled with the fact that you know, to take an, a night out on the town for you is probably got to be close to like, like, even if you don't like, even if it's just you and Jess, right, you have to get a right. sitter or you have to like kind of somehow convince your son to like stay with your uh, with your two younger ones. And that can be yep. in its own and in itself, its own kind of bargaining deal with the devil shit. But at the end of the day, you're spending two hundred dollars to go out to a movie. Well, yeah, for sure, because what the way it works is if we're getting the sitter and stuff or if we're getting my mom, we're going to make a night of it. We're going to end up going to dinner and mm-hmm. we're going to go see a movie as well. Exactly. But when we go to the movie, we're going to we're going to have some wine or we're going to have a, you know, a drink or something. You Fucking know, last Dalton. Time her, uh, Je- yeah. <laughs> when we went to uh, we went and saw a portrait uh, of a lady on fire, which yeah. I'm so glad I made it to the theater to see that. I did not. I made a point. I did not want to see that at home. I wanted to. I dragged Jess about because we live in a suburb of Dallas, so it took us about forty-five minutes to get to the theater. But I made it a point we're going to go out to you know see this on the theater, and oh my god, it was well worth it. But yeah, I spent probably you know a hundred bucks between tickets and then getting some drinks and getting some popcorn, and then after the movie we went and saw we went and had dinner, and you know that's another you know sixty seventy bucks. So I'm spending almost two hundred dollars you know on a date night that involves a movie when you know some people you know you can stay at home and watch it for 20 bucks (laughs) you know when i hear people complain i've heard so many people that aren't necessarily like me and you you know they're just the average moviegoer or the average you know u.s citizen Mm -hmm. you know bitching and complaining about this 20 dollars that some of these movies cost and i'm like guys this movie literally is supposed to be in a theater yeah like you were really supposed to go see this in a theater and you would have taken your whole brood of kids to go you know like let's say onward or Heck, if you want to take your, you know, your wife to go see Invisible Man or something like that, you were gonna spend way more than that, but you're only spending twenty bucks. You know, exactly. I find it like, that price. That price point's not bad to me. No, to be honest, absolutely. To think about what you're getting, like if if it's a movie that's been out for six months, yeah. But this movie, literally, you were supposed to see this in a the theater. You're seeing this way ahead of time in the privacy of your own home. Yeah, or or Harley Quinn. I mean, yeah, like yeah, exactly. Like you're 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 seeing these movies, literally, literally like what? 
like with with the case of Onward, Invisible Man, and Harley Quinn, right? I mean, literally, fucking Onward is on H uh, or is on Disney Plus right now. Like we literally, yeah. like me and Christina watched that shit last night. Now, yeah, it's crazy, <laughs> man. That that came out to theater, or was, it was supposed to come out to theaters. What just maybe three weeks ago mm-hmm. was initially when it was supposed to come out, and we're already sitting at the house streaming it. You know, six thousand times for the kids, or at least we are. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. I don't have kids. I mean, you know. It... <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But at the though. same, but yeah, but for you, it's a. But it also, it's a fucking lifesaver. Like between that and like yeah, Frozen sure. Two, like I mean, like it's weird to me to like think that like. Like, I'll sit there and, like, I mean, I think we've talked about this. I'll sit there and I'll fucking, I'll sit there and fucking watch Amazon every single fucking day to see when I see a good deal on a Blu-ray or a 4K. Because I want for uh, physical media. Like, I don't, yeah, I don't, sure. I don't want the streaming. Like, okay, so, like, right now, like, we start, we talked about the Star Wars films, right? So, all of the Star Wars films are on Disney+. Plus on 4k and Adobe vision. Right. So it's like the primo primo version of it. But the thing is, is that I want the physical version because the physical version of a 4k UHD is like the, the bit rate. If we're going to get technical about this shit, um, <laughs> if we're going to get technical about this shit. So like the streaming, the bit rate for a stream is about 18 to 19 megabytes at the best. That's literally what Disney can give out on right. a 4K disc. It is something in the neighborhood of 40, uh, 35 to 45 megabits. So you're talking about an image quality that is, even though it's 2K or it's 4K, it's still three times better on a physical media disc than it is a streaming service. So oh, yeah, it's always better, always better, especially if you you live in an area where you don't have the the best you know internet you know connection. Absolutely. It's going to slow it down even a little bit more. So you're going to have spotty you know picture. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's still going to be it's going to look pretty crisp, but it's never going to look like what it's going to look like you know if you have a disc. Exactly, and that's what and I try it, to tell. And especially now, like now, I'm I'm for sure. I mean, I've I've I was into physical media for a really long time, and then. As soon as the streaming stuff came out, I kind of like dove headfirst into that. Mm-hmm. And probably over the past year, I've went full bore back onto the the physical media stuff, and I'm so glad I did because, I mean, you never know where we could be in a few months or you know exactly where it's like, because uh, like I've said before though, a lot of these movies that I really love, they end up dropping off of one of these streaming services, and then it's like, crap, don't really want to buy this, you know on iTunes or something, or do I want to just own it to where I can put it on whenever I want to physically in my hands. And sometimes I just like the artwork that all these boutique labels put on these, oh, yeah. these Blu-rays and stuff. It's like, I want to own that. It's like, it's almost like a piece of art to me. Absolutely. You know, I want to display that. It's, it looks so cool. And then yeah. of course you get all the added spectra- special features and everything else, No, absolutely. which most yeah. of the time you're never going to get if you get it, you know, if you stream it or if, even if you buy it on streaming, you're not going to get all the special features you get from, you know, a shout factory or a criterion or, you know, whatever. No, you're not. I mean, or you're going to like, like with criterion, like what we've, or like, I don't know if you've seen it, but criterion, what they'll do is they'll bring a disc like on the streaming channel. They'll 
post a disc. Like they'll literally have all of the features on the disc, but it will only be for a limited time because they understand. Oh yeah, of course. They understand. Like, like, I mean, they okay. Know, yeah, exactly. And w- something that we talked about, like I posted, like I sent to you and to Scott because I both like, um, we've talked about like, um, just having a love of special features. And the thing that I posted to you guys, like I sent to you guys, like red alert is the raging bull, raging bull being on criterion channel right now. And the reason why yes, for sure. is because of the commentary, their exclusive commentary from the nineties, um, with Martin Scorsese, um, and Thelma Shoemaker on raging bull. Now that kind of stuff I get behind, but the thing is, is that once that's off, that's off and that's gone. If you don't have the laser disc, which dude, I had I had a laser disc and I actually had that fucking Criterion disc. That CAV Criterion disc that cost me $120. Like I I worked oh all gosh, summer to get awesome. that. And I weep thinking about all of the Criterion discs, laser discs that I had when I was a kid that I saved up for that I don't have anymore. That unless a streaming service like this has that and because it's an exclusive commentary and that's what i try to tell people when we talk about collecting is is that they're always like why do you collect why do you collect physical media i'm like because something like let's just say um um, let's just like pull a movie a random movie like i'm looking at right now like i i just bought the possession box set you know, you know, the the movie with uh, Isabella Jonti and Sam Neill, right? Yeah. yeah. I hear that uh, Elric Kane from uh, Shockwaves and Pearson. He is, you know, he talks oh. about that all the time. And I have, I still haven't seen it. Mm. I, I want to see it. I still haven't seen it yet. I guess I should pony up and just buy the physical media and I guess it's worth it. Oh, no, absolutely. It's, it's a fucking, like, it's a hard, it's a hardcore movie. Like, I'm, I'm not going to. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it, it, it's one of those movies where it's like you have to be in a very bright disposition kind of mood in order to watch the movie because after it, it's just it's one of those. It's like like in a lot of ways it would pair perfectly with Blue Valentine, like if you wanted to do the most depressing, the depressing relationship <laughs> movie movie double feature of all fucking time. Um, go watch Possession and then watch Blue Valentine. Uh, or I'm sorry, um, um, Blue Valentine, because that's literally okay. basically what it is. Um, God, but- I, I love Blue, Blue Valentine, man. That was such a great film that kind of fell out of the consciousness. I don't hear anybody talk about that. I mean, not the first person I've heard talk about it in years is you just now. Yeah. I mean, oh, God. Da- uh, Derek Sin of France. That oh my god, dude! Like, um, are you dude, his fan- work? Him and him and Gosling together. I mean, Place Between the Pines as well. I mean, yes, Jesus, dude, incredible Je- stuff. Jesus fucking Christ! Thank you. I know so many people that I'm like, uh, between uh, uh, between the Valley of Pines. Oh, uh, it's okay. The first half is better than the second. Half. What the fuck are you talking oh, about? That no, fucking fuck movie, no, dude. That's. That's Gosling next to like Drive or something. That's Gosling's best work, dude. He's incredible. Bradley Cooper's insane in that too. Well, and then also like when you get to the second half of the movie when it's Dane DeHaan, that is the best fucking Dane DeHaan performance. Oh yeah, for sure. That's ever that, that that's ever been. Well, actually, not true because I'm a huge fucking stand for um, what's the fucking three and a half or the two and a half hour horror movie. Damn, I can't even think of what it's called now. Two and a um, half hour horror movie. Yeah, the Gore Verbinski one. Um, 
Oh shit. shit. Um hold on a second. Indaba. Mm. Um, a cure for wellness. Oh, okay. I've never seen that before. Oh, dude, you have to see a cure for wellness. Have you? Okay, so are you a big fan of um, Jason Isaacs? Yes. Yes. Okay. I like him. You need to see this fucking movie. Are you also a fan okay. of Mia Goth? Do you like? Are you on the Mia Goth train? Like I'm totally on the Mia Goth train. So. Oh yeah, for sure. For okay. Sure. Okay. So. This is a two and a half hour horror movie by Gore Verbinski, the director of Pirates and stuff. And it's a swing for the fences horror movie. Either you're going to love it or fucking hate it. Um, And oh, God, yes. Like it, it's it's like other than um, than Pines, it's probably Dane DeHaan's like best movie. Um, I'm one of those guys. And he that- plays like the, the guy that's going to a psychiatric crazy type place out in the middle of nowhere to yes. like find somebody and then crazy shit happens basically. Exactly. That's the movie, right? No, that's okay. a, that's okay. exactly yeah. the movie. That is that yep. is exactly the movie. And it's definitely you, you like if if you like those actors and um you like Gore Verbinski and his style, like that whole because it like to me like it's it's as good as the ring. When it comes to horror, like horror, horror movies with like, you know, Gore Verbinski directing, it's it's just as good as that. So, oh, like, wow. Yeah. Like to me, it yeah, is. The Ring is one of the best horror movies, you know, of the past, you know, 20 years or so. Um, But it's one of those ones that it swings through the fences. And if you don't, if it if it misses for you, it misses a by a wide margin. Um, mm. it's one of those bold things because it's, it's Gore Verbinski playing in the same kind of field as like Giallo films. Like it really feels like a Giallo film. So like, if you're into like, if you're into that kind of Dario Argento cult, everything you just set me down a path, like, because we're talking about what we've seen recently and kind of like what's going on. Mm-hmm. Guess what? I just watched the other day. Never seen it before. But I wanted, you know, it was I think it was on Shutter, and I was like, man, I've got to. No, it was on iTunes. Um, Tenebrae. Oh, Tenebrae is so good. I had so... my fucking mind blown, dude, because it's so good. Because I has I've always been a fan of the slasher genre, and I've I think I've dipped my toe into Jello. I think I've seen maybe a, a movie or two. I had never seen Tenebrae, mm-hmm. and I heard great things about it in. You know, I popped it on the other day and I was like, holy shit, this is awesome. I mean, this is yes. exactly the type of film I like uh, as far as horror goes. Oh, God. Like, you're in for a treat. Like, once you go down that Jalo, like, that deep dive, oh, fuck. It is so, like, it's the nightmare logic that I love. Like, that's what I love about oh, yeah. it. Is that in, in a, it's another bonkers Sub, yeah, subgenre of bonkers for oh, sure. Oh, absolutely. It, it it's one of those things where you like once you get into it and you and you kind of vibe on it, you're like, oh shit, why did I not ever fucking love this stuff, or why didn't anybody ever show this shit to me? Like that's the thing that I always that that I'm always shocked by is that I'm like when I get like I about about. Um, I've always been into the Italian films. I, it's just, and I think that it's also the video store that you went to. 
as a kid. Like, like that's, yep. ju- that's just to be honest. Like, like, um, when I listened to, um, um, when I listened to, um, what's the Brian and Cargill podcast? I mean, we oh, should oh, actually junk, junk food, junk, junk food, food cinema. cinema dude. Yeah. To be I perfect. I love that one too. <laughs> oh my God. Um, it, and it's funny because Cargill and I may have been separated by literally 5,000 miles because he lived in Florida and I lived in California, but it feels like we went to the same fucking video store because my dad would always rent these, like he would rent, I think we've talked about this. We, he would rent based off of fucking video covers. And so, yep, exactly. <laughs> we'd watch the amazing eighties and nineties video covers, man. Absolutely. Like, um, I was, um, I was talking like I was watching um, I was watching some post apocalyptic shit and um, it was all Italian knockoff shit. And I watched Hands of Steel. I mean, I own the fucking Blu-ray of Hands of Steel, (laughs) but Hands of fucking Steel is like Sergio Martino fucking arm wrestling by way of Escape from fucking New York by way of Terminator bullshit. Right. But, I mean, that's how, like, all those Italian knockoffs are. It's not just knocking off one thing. It's knocking off, like, five or six things exactly. all at the same time. <laughs> exactly. But the thing is, is that what it, like, what what was interesting was, is that I remember seeing it as a kid. And the reason why I saw it as a kid was I fucking know for a fact that my dad watched it because it had a cool video cover. Like, and that was yep. literally, like, now with the internet, like it's almost like you want the internet to not exist sometimes because it's like the shit that I remember as a kid um, watching and having the fondest memories of were things that my dad like rented because the cover looked cool or I rented because the fucking cover looked cool. You know? Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I did that constantly. I mean, it was such a cool memory of my childhood just going to the video store down the street and you have to make a decision, you know, like we were just talking about letterbox. Mm-hmm. We could be on letterbox for an hour or two, you know, trying to find what to watch. We used to have to do that physically, like get out into the, you know, world, go to your video store and walk up and down the aisles and look at all these amazing, you know, VHS covers. And you had to make that decision. What <laughs> exactly. am I going to watch? And once you, it, but once you made that decision, it's like, well, shit, I'm going to watch this no matter what. Cause that's all I got to watch this weekend. You know, you'd rent, you know, your parents would probably rent two or three videos. You'd rent probably two or three or something like that. And that's what you're stuck with all weekend. Because yeah. back then, I mean, not – I mean, I know I didn't have cable uh, until, you know, probably in the early 90s. So definitely in the, the late 80s and stuff. Once I rented some VHS, you know, tapes, that's what I was stuck with all weekend. <laughs> yeah. So you had to take a leap of faith basically on what the hell does the VHS cover look like. And hopefully they have a pretty decent, you know, summary on the back. And that's about it. No, absolutely. And a star. Like, like there yeah, were yeah. Cer- there were certain stars that I knew, like, dollars to donuts I would fucking watch a movie for. Like, Kurt Russell, like, it was just the gold standard. It didn't matter whether it was fucking Overboard or Escape from fucking New York or Tango and Cash. It was... Oh, Tango and Cash. <laughs> seriously, dude. Uh, but, I mean, like, you saw Kurt Russell, and it was like, fuck yeah. I'm going to fucking, like, yes, Kurt Russell. Um, yes, sure. Or or even, like, 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 I mean, I know that they're, like, you know, they're, like, the, the guys now, like, you know, like, they're jokes. But John Claude Van Damme, uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger, and Steven Seagal. Like, you knew yeah. 
whatever you rented from them, even if it was, even if it was fucking terrible, it was still entertaining. Like, like my favorite, my favorite memory is junior high, me and my friends fucking the Friday night, the, the, the Friday night that marked for death came out. We fucking all went to different video stores to see if we could find a copy of it. And it ended up being that like four of us, four of the six of us got copies of it to (laughs) rent. And then sitting there watching the fucking movie, like just literally yelling at the screen, making fun of this shit. But at the same time, thinking it was like the best movie in the world with the big turn in spoiler for a fucking 30 year old movie with a guy who's a Russian plant now um, (laughs) (laughs) ends up being that the Jamaican drug dealer is the, it has a twin. He has a twin dude. He has a twin. (laughs) His name was Screwface. Screwface. And did you, okay. So, so um, the, the best part from Screwface, one of the part me and my buddies used to always like rewind it over and over was that scene when, um, the guy comes in basically i can't remember exactly what went down but they're like at a table or something like that you know screw facing his henchman and he's talking about how you know if you're not gonna kill him i'm gonna gonna kill him and then i'm gonna kill you <laughs> there's yes! so many great you know terrible one-liners they're just so great from Screwface, man oh my god and and um like so my favorite part about that movie is that it was initially named um it was initially named um, uh, Screwface, right? But it was it, it's yeah. called Mark for Death, like that. That yeah. And so, like, we sat there watching that fucking movie, um, and also directed by uh, Dwight H. Little, who I, I just have to love because that fucking dude made some of the the like shittiest but best like like B level action movies that that I ever saw like that I that I mean right fucking free willy to the adventure home murder at 1600 um <laughs> fucking oh so that's another 90s staple that was on HBO all the time oh murder, murder at, at 1600 murder at 1600 which okay so I will tell you of the movies about the like okay so do you remember that Murder at sixteen hundred, and then Absolute Power came out around the same time. Like they were the competing. Yeah, that was the Clint Eastwood one. Yes, right? or... yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So fucking fuck, uh, fuck Absolute Power. It was all about Murder at sixteen hundred, right? Um, oh yeah, for sure. For because, me, I'd because... seen. I think I saw Absolute Power once. <laughs> but, you know, I've seen 1600, you know, handfuls of times. Exactly. Because why? Because fucking Wesley Snipes. Because of fucking Oh yeah, Wesley Snipes for sure, dude. Wesley fucking Snipes. Like um like I was watching I've uh I've been watching the uh Joe Bob Briggs um uh last uh last drive in. Um and like he actually did this Halloween hootenanny thing where he showed three films and it was all the Halloween films and the one that, he... yeah, I, I watched that one. Oh, you did. I actually watched that one. I watched that one live. Oh, so good. Um, but my favorite part is that he gave Halloween four, which is one of my favorite, like, you know, uh, shit upon Halloween sequels. Like it was one of my favorite ones. Um, and it's directed by, uh, Dwight H. Little. Um, it, it is just so fucking funny to watch. 
And, and it just kind of like, I don't know why, but Joe Bob, like, validating my opinion <laughs> makes me feel better about about fucking loving um uh halloween for the return of michael myers um, right but and that like, was the first one to have um daniel harris in it right was yes it yes yeah, yeah yes i mean i think that all I think of that, one, that one's pretty underrated i mean i, I loved part four i, I can't oh, remember yeah. Part five, I don't remember if I like that one or not off the top of my head. Oh, Part uh, three is another one that, as a kid, I was like, this sucks. It doesn't have Michael Myers. And then I watched it, you know, of probably course. a year or two ago. Yes. And I was like, I watched it not as a Halloween film, obviously, which it's not necessarily meant to be. And I was like, oh my god, this movie kicks ass. I love this movie. I'm going to watch it every freaking Halloween. Fucking Tommy Atkins, man. Tommy Atkins yes, is fucking sure, great. Like, uh, like, what I love dude, I'm is... Gonna get that have you seen that T-shirt that it says uh, Tom Atkins rolls or something like yes. that? Yes. Well, I fucking have the Tom. I've got to get that. <laughs> I like. I love Tom Atkins so much that when the um, the action figure came out from Screen Factory, you Don't know what? You I, got it. Oh, I fucking got it, dude. Like, oh I'll, hell yeah! <laughs> I'll fucking post that shit. I'll post that shit um, on my Instagram or, or on the uh, B Movie Podcast. Uh, 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 Instagram page so that you guys can see it, but fuck yeah, dude, because fucking Tom Atkins, dude. I mean, like, like he's, he's one of those guys, like there's like these slew of eighties actors that, I, I mean, you, like, we know him, like, you know, him, um, like these guys that just fucking just, you look at them and you go, there's no way they would have led a film in any other time than the eighties. Wings Hauser. <laughs> fucking Wings Hauser. Like, have you seen the um uh the movie that I recommended? Um what was the um God the one at midnight? the one you recently told me about? Yes. Um I, I haven't had the one with uh George Kennedy in it. Yes, and, and uh the guy from I haven't uh, watched the, that one. The director of Zero Boys uh, directed it. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, Master Rockus or something like that. Yeah, the Greek. Uh, like, I'm going to call him the Greek freak because he's fucking amazing. <laughs> I've got to watch that, man. Oh, where's that one at? Like, can um, I find that anywhere? Yeah, that's um, Amazon Prime. Um, okay, it, it's okay. through the Scream TV or the Shout TV channel. But, I right. mean, the um, Nico Makarakis is the guy's name, the director. And... That yeah. fucking dude, like, he's like the low-rent Tony Scott. I mean, let's just be yeah. fucking honest. He's like the low-rent, the low, low, low-rent Tony Scott. Uh, he just makes these, like, these, sh- these. I I guess you could call them shitty films, but they're not really. Um, because they, they're concepts. They're shitty entertain- entertaining films, you know? Yes, Nightmare at Noon. That's what they're. That's what that movie's yes, called. Yes, that's it. Yep, I'm. Re- I have it on my letterbox, and I haven't watched it yet. But that's oh, in my list. Oh my god, this fucking movie! Like I, I actually talked about it on the, the. I think it was the second preoccupation. But I mean, Wingshauser, Bo Hopkins, George Kennedy are the trifecta of like, like bad-looking supporting actors that somehow <laughs> got fucking like leading roles in movies, and they're Dude, all. In what it. is the deal, like? You gotta love that, like in the set, especially in the seventies. But I mean, in the eighties too, you can have a leading guy that is not attractive at all. These days, that is blasphemy. You can't do that. Like uh, uh, one that comes to mind, um, and I love him to death is uh, Stacy Keach. Yes, he led all kinds of films, 
And that guy, you know, obviously isn't the best looking guy in the world, but I mean, he was a badass leading man. I mean, think about uh, road games. Uh, and he was oh, yeah. quippy and funny in that too. Um, and he was a great leading man, but they don't really give those type of roles to guys these days because you, you have to fit a certain standard. You have to, you know, be, you know, 185 pounds, you know, lean and good looking. Yeah, fucking <laughs> Chris Evans. Yeah, fucking Chris right. Evans. <laughs> and I love Chris Evans, but, you know, it's it's nice to see, you know, that's why I dig back into some of these, you know, older films is you want to see some of these characters that look like real human beings, you know, playing these roles. You know what I mean? Oh, absolutely. Like fucking Powers Booth. That's why. I mean, yeah. Pow- oh, God. <sighs> that Talk about a chameleon. Think about that guy in Tombstone and watch yes. him in the movie. We just talked about sudden death. Oh, Dude, yeah. Doesn't even look like the same guy. No. At all. Well, like I just okay. Let, let's just gaunt and small and uh, tombstone, <laughs> weird you know mustache combination, and then he's like thicker, you know, shaved completely and sudden death. Looks like a completely different dude. Uh, I mean, okay, so like rest in peace, fucking Powers Booth. But never had there's has there been a, a an actor with a fucking name that fucking lived up to. The guy. Oh, yes, sir. Yes. <laughs> For sure. That <laughs> I, name kicks ass, man. Um, Like, you know, and it's just like, like, Southern Comfort to fucking Red Dawn to... Um, Dude, Southern Comfort kicks ass, too. So does Red Dawn. I mean, a lot, Red Dawn's like, it's got this, uh, you know, people kind of, you know, dogging on it because it's, you know, John Milius, you know, the jingoistic stuff of, you yeah. know, rah, 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 America and guns and you know, war and stuff like that. But if you just look at it as a entertaining, you know, piece of eighties entertainment, that's, you know, Red Dawn's awesome. Fuck. Yeah. I mean, so and for that matter, I I like pretty much anything that John Milius had been involved in. If you, if you see the documentary Milius, it's really entertaining uh, to see, you know, all his history and how it all came about. I mean, you know, the guy doesn't really, he's got some, you know, wild, you know, points of view, that I don't necessarily agree with, but mm-hmm. it, just on the inter- entertaining side, the dude knew how to make an entertaining film for sure. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Like, like what I love about Milius. And the thing is, is that like, I think that we've gotten a little bit too, we've gotten a little bit too, like with our movies, we've gotten like, you know, too associated with our political beliefs. And the thing is, is that yeah. I can disassociate like, just because I like Red Dawn doesn't mean that I'm some fucking pro war gun nut. It just means that I right, like a, exactly. It just means that I like a good fucking action movie from a guy who I may not agree with his. Like it's like Walter Hill. Like you know, like I don't may not agree with him politically, but fuck, he can make a goddamn movie. He can make a really good fucking movie like Southern Comfort. Besides. Like to me, like Southern Comfort, besides um, Deliverance, is like the best Southern hick versus normal dudes, like masculine movie out there, like ounce for ounce. And I mean, just okay. So like, like you look at Southern Comfort and it's and it's cast, and you go, holy shit, that's a who's who of. 80s actors like literally oh yeah for sure like keith carradine fred ward aka um aka remo williams fucking tk carter lewis smith peter coyote 
Byron James, who we just fucking, who was in Nightmare, <laughs> or um, uh, Nightmare at Noon. Nightmare at Noon. Yeah. I mean, so you look at that, and then, but then you see the movie that it's, that that's made out of fucking Southern Comfort, and you just go, holy shit, that's a fucking, that's a movie. And that's a bunch of fucking actors that, like, like, to me, like, what masculine is like like what are dude dudes like like the tnt dudes who like movies who like are like dudes for movies who like movies for dudes right yeah exactly like, like fucking southern comfort is that that fucking movie but like i don't see anything wrong with liking that movie just because I like the movie. Like, there's nothing associated right. with that politics of that movie. And I mean, if you really think about it, like Southern Comfort is like this cautionary tale of like mochismo, like military bullshit. I mean, because oh, exactly. It's, it's like military overreach for sure. Absolutely. Like it sits there and it goes, yeah, the dudes that you're watching that are supposedly the quote unquote heroes are in the wrong. So when they die at the end, spoilers for a fucking 40-year-old movie, but when they fucking die at the end, I mean, because, like, the freeze frame is, like, the one of the best freeze, freeze frames ever, you know that they're fucking dead. You just know. It's like Butch and Sundance. Like, don't fucking bullshit me. They're fucking dead. Don't say that they survived. But it's it's saying something about that complex. Um... But it's just fucking great. It's like, like, I hate that. I hate that now everything has to be politically associated and you can't just like, I can't just like Powers Booth movies because they're fucking Powers Booth's movies, you know? Right, exactly. And it's just, it's, it's one of those things like, like, um, uh, I, one that I'm going to actually watch, uh, because I have the Kino, um, and it's a Walter Hill special is, um, Long Riders. I've been waiting Oh, fucking... that's that's been on my list too of of westerns I need to see. Yes, and I already know. Like I just know. Like it's it, it it's like I don't even have to like really worry about it. Like I know it's going to be fucking just a great, great, great fucking like watch. I mean, I'm all for the assassination of Jesse James by the coward Robert Ford. Like I fucking love that movie. Dude, cinematography and that is outstanding. Dude, Roger fucking Deakins, man. Like, like Roger just Deakins classic, dude. <laughs> pour pour one out for the fucking Deakins, man. Because like yes. anything that he does, like I'm seriously like when this is all like I really, really, really fucking hope that when this all this COVID-19 bullshit is over with that Dune doesn't get fucking pushed. Delayed. Oh, my God. That's like that's I'm dying. You know, I told Jess the other night, like, you know, some, you know, I'm definitely happy to be at home. And being safe and, and, you know, I don't want anyone to, you know, go out and start, you know, socializing and things like that. Yeah. You know, because I know what we're supposed to do is important. But, you know, the other night I was supposed to be sitting in the theater watching No Time to Die. Oh! <laughs> oh, my God, dude. And that's like my, you know, the movie I wanted to see more than anything. But now that I'm thinking about it, I'm like, oh, my God, is anything else going to change? Because, like, Dune is my second movie on my list of, like... You know, more of the big budget type stuff that I want to see. Yes. It's like No Time to Die in Dune. And, oh, my God, if I can't see both of those this year, I know it's, you know, there's bigger problems in the world. But, dang, that would really suck. No, seriously. Like, No Time to Die, like, to 
I, I mean, I know that you're like, uh, and we'll uh, like we'll talk a little bit about like uh, what you're doing right now, which is watching the Bond films. Which, like, I, I love the fact that like it's an undertaking, and I'm not oh, doing it, it like one by one. You know, I'll watch Doctor No, and then I'll watch something, you know, from the '80s or something, or I'll watch something random, mm-hmm. and then you know I'll watch you know, Casino Royale, and then I'll go back and watch you know From Russia with Love, and some kind of. I'm doing it loosey goosey, but I'm trying to knock it out, you know, end to end, and I'll, I'll, you know, mix stuff in there. I, I can't do it all, and you know, back to back to back. I, I will tell you if you've never seen the fucking Roger Moore movies, buckle up, man. Those things are fucking hard to get through sometimes, because I have not seen any of the Roger Moores. I've seen all the Conneries. I've seen, um, uh, what was the other guy? Not Dalton. not Brosnan and. Dalton. Yeah, I've seen the Daltons, I've seen the Brosnans, I've seen the uh, Lazenby's, I haven't seen the Moors. So, I guess, uh, pray for me. <laughs> <laughs> um, I will say this much, like, I feel like Dalton doesn't get enough love. I fucking love the Dalton bombs. The two ones that he did, like, if they were really, they're literally, like, when you see them again, you're gonna watch them and go, these are basically the the Daniel Craig Bonds because they're harder edged movies, especially right. um, License to Kill. I fucking love that one because Benicio del Toro and fucking Robert Davi. Like, like we talk about, like we talk about, like fucking like eighties villain, eighties nineties villains. Fucking Robert dude, Davi. Robert Davi. Robert Davi, dude. <laughs> uh, uh, Johnson, Johnson, not related. Yeah. <laughs> <See>? <laughs> We were thinking the exact same thing almost at the exact same time, man. Uh, Agent Johnson? Yeah. And this is the other special agent Johnson? Johnson? No relation. relation, No relation. Ha ha! Fucking Vietnam! I was in junior high, dickhead. Dickhead. (laughs) This is great. Oh my... Him and... The the banter between him and the other guy is so good in that. I mean, their screen time is, you know, less than probably 10 minutes, but man, they make the most of it. Fucking diehard, man. The... The greatest action movie of all time. I- I'm just gonna say, yes, sir. It. Fucking that's, just that's my that's one of my favorite movies of all time. Not even action, whatever. It's just one of my favorites yeah. of all time. It's it doesn't get much better than that. Every Christmas I watch that. Fuck I'm, yeah. Jess get Jess and the kids get pissed because they're like, can you turn that shit off the TV? Because I have it on like every other day. Because it's like. As soon as December first happens, I'm like, all right, it's Die Hard month. I'm gonna be watching Die Hard, you know, Fuck you know yeah. ten times. Like the the best double feature. Like I will. I, so, y'all out there, the best fucking double feature at Christmas time is fucking Home Alone and Die Hard. I oh yes yes. If you want to do a triple feature, throw a Lethal Weapon in there. That could be you know some people are like eh, it's not a Christmas. It's you know. It's just as Christmas movie as, as Die Hard is. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, a fucking, like, uh, Die Hard is just, it's just one of those fucking movies, man. Like, my favorite part about Die Hard is that Shane Black took, like, Shane, like, have you heard, have you heard Shane Black's story about, about Die Hard? Uh, I'm not sure. Okay, I mean, I, I know that he was like obviously on the set of Predator. Of course, he was doing script rewrites for Predator and mm-hmm. also acting in it. And then you know, McTiernan's there as well. So I, I don't know exactly. If you say something, I'm probably gonna be like, oh yeah, I've heard that. Okay, so and we will close with this because it's perfect because we both love Shane Black and fucking oh yes, power to Shane Black, man. 
if if they could make if like if Shane's listening to this, I know he's not. But if he was listening to this, if fucking if there's any way that we could get a nice guy's TV movie and I know or a TV series, and I know that he's oh, not. Give me give me ten ten episodes of Ryan Gosling and Russell Crowe just hanging out as detectives solving a different case every episode. Holy shit, man! <laughs> Absolutely, and if y'all want to do so, if you want to see Shane Black, proto Shane Black, I'm gonna recommend something, and to you too, if you have not seen it, um, Rockford Files. Dude, I saw you talk about that the other day. I can't remember if it was online or we had text, but I've never seen that. But I, you're like the second or third person I've heard talk about Rockford Files. Same thing with like I've seen Columbo popping up like all over the place seems like everybody's talking about that and i have seen neither one of those um i've seen you know episodes of columbo towards the tail end because it was just on tv when i was a kid yeah but i remember nothing about it and i kind of like want to go back and revisit and i guess i'll have to catch up with that and rockford files too now okay so watch rockford files because it's proto shane black like literally fucking shane black as a kid probably watched that watch this shit because it literally feels like part lethal weapon part nice guys um, oh shit! Okay. Uh, yeah, seriously, is that like James, is James Garner? Is that the guy that's yeah the lead in that? Yeah, okay. oh, absolutely. Um, it, it totally is Shane, or uh, it, it's a total Shane Black special. But um, fuck, I forgot what I was talking about. It was Shane Black, nice guys. Oh, okay. So yeah, if I could get fucking a nice guys TV series with fucking them. I mean, I mean, because Nice Guys is basically Freebie and the Bean, yeah. But done from, uh, done from. And if you, if you, if you motherfuckers have not seen Freebie and the Bean, and you're listening to, and you're listening to fucking the B Movie podcast, I don't know what the fuck you guys are doing. Stop and watch Freebie and the Bean. That's that's some blasphemy because that's. That's a Warner Archive special right there. <laughs> exactly. I mean, I may have to fucking, like, I'm doing the Star Wars fucking thing, but I may have to, like, when Christine is asleep, I may have to just put on Freebie and the Bean. Fucking Dude, that, woke that culture almost, That be could damned. be a, an episode it's in itself right oh, there. fuck yeah. Like, Freebie and the Bean is, like, to me... Because that's that started it all, right? Oh, yeah, absolutely. The, the, the cops that are, like... Like the the buddy cop film, I mean, I feel like started the the real buddy cop film stop started with Freebie and the Bean, like and literally like the guys that are at odds with one another, and like let's just pour one out for fucking for both Alan Arkin and fucking the King, the fucking King James Con. Because Jimmy Con, Jimmy, Jimmy, Jimmy fucking Con, and I'm pretty sure Dude, his, you... his Twitter, man. Like, if you see his Twitter, he's he's hyping up like all his older movies, like Thief and stuff. And I'm oh, loving it. Oh fuck yeah, man. fuck yeah. So if you if you don't follow, uh, you know, James Con, go follow James Con. He's really cool on Twitter. And seriously, if fucking Jimmy Con, I cry every time fucking Sonny Corleone dies. Mm -hmm. Every fucking time. Dude, he's one of my favorite characters in that that. Oh, uh, fuck yeah. movie. oh fuck yeah but like jimmy con like jimmy con is the kind of guy is if you called him jimmy he'd smack you and but you'd be okay with it yeah you're like thank you <laughs> thank you thank you i have a story to tell and then you'd tell people when you were like you know out out at a bar did, did i ever tell you the time that i got smacked by fucking jimmy con um it, 
And it would be okay. I mean, even though the guy's like fucking like 85 years old. I mean, is like, he really that old now? I think he's like, I think he's I know he's pretty 80s. old. I, I wasn't sure. Yeah. Like he's one of those guys where like when he like, like the funny thing is, is that, uh, and it's not funny, but like my dad's generation, like your dad's generation, they're going to fucking secretly cry when he fucking dies because oh, yeah, for sure. And because of Brian's song, it's not even the Godfather. Yep. It's fucking Brian's song. I mean, even I get choked up when I think about Brian's song. Like, you know, Gail Sayers fucking giving the speech about fucking Brian. And it's just like, like, like the funny thing for me is, is that like, there's a whole, like, there's a whole group of, um, Cinnies that don't understand what Brian's song means to a group of their fathers. Like you bring up like to me, like if you bring up like Brian's song to my dad, he gets grumbly. He's like, God damn, don't talk to me about the goddamn Yeah. Film. It's like, don't even talk to me about this. It's I don't want to deal with those kind of emotions right now. Exactly. And, and my dad never wants to talk about those God, those fucking emotions. But uh, but it 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 is even funnier that there's like you know that there's an actual remake of that movie. Is there really? Yeah, and you know who stars in it? Oh God, I have no idea. Uh, who plays Brian? Brian Piccolo. <laughs> You're gonna laugh. Peter, fucking Mile Twenty One Berg. Oh my God. Are you serious? Fucking, Jeez. fucking serious. Back when he was an actor, dude. Yes. Aspen back. Extreme. Aspen Extreme. <laughs> Aspen oh, Extreme. Shit. I haven't heard that fucking. That's a Kino Lorber no special. Has, no one has. No one has spoken those words in a podcast, maybe ever. Oh no no no! There, there's like not even Sour and Eric have fucking have fucking no. talked about that fucking movie. But you know why? Because it's a fucking terrible. Okay, so it's horrible, but it's so good though. Oh, dude, I've, seriously, I've seen it so many times, man. Oh, I've I've seen that movie about. Oh God, that and Hot Dog in the movie. I've mm. fucking seen uh quite a bit. Sad to say, but the whole thing is, is that Hot Dog the movie is better be just because of the fact that I mean it's kind of a Skinamax movie with some some skiing in it, whereas Aspen Extreme is just it's just the ski. Yeah, it's not, I mean it does have like a sexual undertone to it in a in a way because there's some romantic stuff going on, but it's nothing like you know the '80s teen stuff that Hot Dog the movie was doing. That just got a, a release too, didn't it? Yes. Hot yeah, Hot Dog did actually get um um did like okay, let's just appreciate the movie is called Hot Dog Semicolon the fucking movie. Not the fucking, but the movie. Like <laughs> um but yes, it did. With the producer's cut, whatever the fuck that means. <laughs> <laughs> like like I'm always used to the director's cut, but what the fuck is up with the producer's cut? Does that just That's mean? Like, do we want to see a producer's cut? Do we give a shit? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, but yeah, Aspen Extreme. Um, it's like uh, back in the 90s. Do you remember like um, when, uh, what was that fucking movie? The mountain climbing movie? K-22 or K-2? K-2. Yeah. yeah K-2. K-2 with 
Okay, so I don't know about you, but like Michael Bean was like one of those dudes that I just went, why the fuck isn't this dude a star? Like back in the oh, 90s. Yeah. yeah, for sure. Um, But oh, I mean, God. you got to love him in the Terminator. I mean, geez, dude, that's one of my favorite performances. I mean, just the scene when you can be in a car driving in the middle of an action scene and giving away all kinds of exposition which normally in any other circumstances in an action film would be completely boring. It's awesome. Oh, when he's talking about the machines are coming back, you know, for her, they're going to kill her. And, you know, he's not going to stop ever until she's dead. I'm like that whole, he give gives all the setup and the exposition you need for that film in that scene. And part of it is a setup by James Cameron, but part of it is, you know, the acting by Michael Bean. It's like, that's captivating. That's like one of my favorite scenes from that movie for some reason. I love that. Oh, fuck yeah. Like that, like you think about it and the one, two combo of, of of that and aliens, like Hicks, Hicks and Hudson, like Mm -hmm. Hicks is a fucking star making performance. Like the guy who you don't expect to, to rise up to be, to be the action, like the co-lead of the film becomes the co-lead of the film. And then like with coupled with the Terminator and you just go, what the fuck happened? But then, (laughs) then you watch like the special features of, have you seen the movie, the screen factory release of the fan? No, 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 no. That's on my list. Oh shit. That's the one where he plays like, he's obsessed with like a, an actor, or yeah, something L- like that? Uh, Lauren Hutton, Lauren Bacall, uh, Lauren Bacall, okay, Lauren, L- Lauren Bacall. Is it You're Lauren? right. Okay, yeah. It, okay, yeah. Watch the special features where they do this forty-five minute um, interview with him, and you find out exactly the reason why this motherfucker never became a, like you know a leading man is because he has no filter. This motherfucker. Ooh, okay, but the best stories in the fucking world like just literally just no filter whatsoever like you know i I mean i mean to bring it back to tombstone fucking johnny ringo man like like what of our generation like is there any other movie that means more to guys our generation than tombstone i mean i remember seeing that in the theater and was just blown away and then as soon as it came out to you know VHS and it was yep another film that was constantly playing on like HBO, Stars, Cinemax, all that stuff, you know, back in the 90s. I've watched I, that so many times and it never gets old. It's so damn good. It's just one of those entertaining westerns that great dialogue, great scene setups, great action. It's, you know, phenomenal acting by, you know, uh Kurt ever. Russell and um uh, Val Kilmer and you know just about everybody that's on screen pretty much <laughs> and so fucking quotable like I remember like, oh so quotable so like, quotable from from fucking junior year or no I'm sorry from sophomore year of my high school to senior year me and my friends we would just fucking quote that shit all the damn time um it, it's just it's one of those movies that I'm just like like you've heard the so I, I I'm curious have you heard have you heard about what Kurt Russell has said about that movie? No, I mean I know that he like supposedly like shadow directed it maybe yes. 
Um, no, no, he's actually come, he's actually come out and said it that he shadow directed oh, okay, it. Okay, okay, and okay. he he said it just when uh, Cosmatos died because the deal was okay. So like like it's interesting. Like it's sad but interesting. Did you hear about what like oh so Cosmatos basically got hired and the reason why he got hired was because after um, Kevin Jar the screenwriter of glory who wrote the script and was scheduled to direct was taking too long. So they actually fired him. And so, um, Kevin jaw or like, uh, so, um, Kurt Russell took over directing it, but he couldn't do that because it was the producer. And there's this law, this bylaw in the DGA that says that you can't fire a director. You yeah. You can't take it over. You either, can't right? As a producer, you can't take oh, yeah, as you a producer can't take or over a movie. So, but he took it over. But he needed somebody, and he hired Cosmatos. And Cosmatos actually was very blunt with him and said, "Um, I'm going blind. I can't see anything. And so, by the time that this film ends, I'm going to be blind." And him and Russell made this deal, like this very like kind of like it, it, like when I think about it now, it's kind of beautiful. Um, that he made this deal with Cosmatos that said, take the credit for directing. I'm going to ghost direct it, but you take the credit for directing and I won't say anything until after you pass. If you're okay with wow. that, we'll hire you. We'll pay you the money because I love you. Um, because they, I guess they were friends outside of uh, like outside of the business. And Cosmatos was like, are you serious? And he goes, yeah. I'll, you take the credit for right now. He's like, you take the credit, but then when you pass, if there's ever any questions, I will actually come out and say this. And he goes, yeah, fine. So he actually did that. And basically he ghost directed 95% of the movie. Like Kurt Russell did, which to me speaks to the person that Kurt Russell is. And that that's kind of a fucking yeah. amazing if you think about it. And now... Like, supposedly, there's this three-and-a-half-hour cut of Tombstone out there that was Kurt Russell's first cut of the film. Because Cosmatos Holy was, shit, give it to me. Give it to me. <laughs> fucking seriously, right? Um, give me Love this, that fucking movie, man. Oh, fuck yes. Fuck yes. But it's weird. But the point you're bringing up, like, it, it makes me wonder because didn't the same sort of thing kind of happen with him in Stallone, like Cosmatos on, was it Cobra? Yes. I can't remember what movie it was. No, it was like, oh, like but it was does Cobra. Does he always get over, does he always let, you know, is it always one of those situations where, you know, a guy who's a big star will like kind of override him and, you know, obviously the Tombstone situation was different, but Cobra wasn't. So um, is I, he kind of like one of those just guys that shows up and then the, you know, the big A-list actor just really directs it and um, just kind of hangs out or no, from what I heard, Stallone is just a dick. <laughs> well, we know that. We yeah. know that. I mean, so, so like he took over directing, not only on Cobra, but on first blood because first blood part two, both of them are Cosmatos directed films. Yeah. That's what I mean. It like, seems like it kind of happens, but maybe it's, not necessarily his fault. It's just the the actors he's involved with. Obviously, Kurt Russell's completely different story because sounds like he was very, very, very you know respectful of the guy. Yeah, of no, course, absolutely. And tried to make it right for him, but 
you know, we all know Stallone. You know, we love him, but <laughs> he's not exactly <laughs> he's not exactly the easiest guy to work with, from what we all know. Yeah, no, um, absolutely. We know he has a history of, you know, got a director coming in. Uh, I'm going to take this movie over and do it myself. <laughs> no, absolutely. So just take the credit, but I'm doing it. Yep. No, no. Th- that's what I've heard. Like the rumors are, is that um, Cobra was this weird kind of like. So, like, from what I've understood about Cobra is that Stallone, Cobra is Stallone at his height of being Stallone. This is after well, Rocky. It's, it's heights, of being, heights of being, like, egomaniacal. And, I mean, he took, that started out as a Beverly Hills Cop script, right? Yes. Like, it was originally Beverly Hills Cop, and, then, you know, he leaves and it becomes Beverly Hills Cop. And you've got Eddie Murphy and it becomes a funny, you know, action comedy Whereas he wanted always to be that dark, you know, basically what Cobra ended up to be was kind of how Beverly Hills Cop started out. Um, Yes, absolutely. I like Cobra. Cobra's fun, but Beverly Hills Cop's way better. Oh, fuck yeah. Oh, I have to ask you about something about Beverly Hills Cop. Like, real talk. So, you've heard the rumor, like, okay, so you've heard the whole thing about Beverly Hills Cop about Axel Foley being gay gay yes i actually like so i rewatched it i've actually bought it on itunes because 4k for 15 bucks right now it's yeah definitely even with part three which is a piece of shit let's be honest it's a piece of shit but part one and part two are fucking amazing but if you watch part one and part two are amazing i will not watch part three because i want to pretend it never happened exactly (laughs) because it's so fucking bad it's horrible oh fuck yeah like like, i literally want part like i want i literally want them to remake part three as just axel foley 2020 or 2021 like basically do what they did with beverly or with uh bad boys part three and just basically do beverly hills cop three axel foley or whatever the hell you want to call it if they could do it and if they could do it somehow they need to figure out how to make a movie now that still has that feel of an 80s film. Yes. Which they can't do. I've never seen Hollywood do this, but if they could somehow still capture that magic that they had from the 80s, if they could do that, yeah. Um, Judge Reinhold's still around, but uh, John Ashton, is he still alive? Yes, he is. He actually is. Oh, oh, God, hell yeah. Because he's actually one of my favorite characters in Beverly Hills Cop. He's awesome understated really fucking funny you know obviously he's, i think he's going through a divorce in the first one or he's like separated no it's no, the second just, one it's the second yeah, second one. second one yeah. but it's he it's so good judge uh, reinhold's great and obviously eddie murphy is you know on another level man i mean he comes out in 48 hours and he's obviously he blows the roof off of the cinema and you know makes his mark but in Beverly Hills Cops, where he really shines completely because he owns that whole entire movie from start to finish. The crazy part is, 48 hours, 19 years old. Beverly Hills you, Cop, 21 years old. How the dude, fuck does that happen? Dude, all I'm going to say, 48 hours, in, listeners, anybody that's listening, go and watch You know, the the scene with Eddie Murphy when he goes into the the hillbilly club in san yes. francisco he yes. owns that scene it 
you can literally feel him going from basically an SNL guy to I'm a fucking superstar now. The way yes. he talks to all those hicks and he's just talking shit to all of them and he owns that entire freaking room and you know everybody's got their eyes on him. That is a star-making performance if I've ever seen one. It is so good. I just watched that like two weeks ago. Great. Yep, I'm going to have to rewatch it. And I'm so, so fucking sad the Safties are not remaking Beverly, uh, oh, 48 Hours. Dude, dude I know, because I had seen that on their IMDb that they were going to do the remake of it, and I was like, holy shit, this is kind of perfect. This is kind of perfect. I hate remakes, but this is kind of perfect. And it died. Yeah, unfortunately. Which you know, I'm not like I said, I'm not not necessarily a fan of remakes and rehashes and all that stuff. But that's one I was actually kind of you know really cool with. Like Forty Eight Hours is one of those movies that you watch and you go, "Fuck, this is special." Because you oh, it is yeah for sure that co- like that bar scene with the Hicks. It's literally watching a guy go. Fuck you guys. I'm a fucking star. Oh, his like, one-liners in that. I have to wonder, was that in the script or did he make that shit up? Because it's it's so Eddie Murphy. Like the the line he says, like when the when the guy was talking about like, um, I think it was like a tax refund or getting his money back. And he's like, you're too fucking stupid to have a job. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. So. Um, Walter Hill has, has admitted as much as that most of Eddie's lines, he just let Eddie improvise. Right, and that's what I thought I'd heard at one point. It was just he was kind of flying off the cuff. If you watch the movie, too, and you can tell it, because I think they filmed it chrono- uh, in chronological order, mm-hmm. he gets more comfortable on screen as time goes by. And by the end, when he's facing off against Billy, who, honestly, like, okay, so fucking Predator, fucking Sonny Landham is named Billy. Dude, and- Sonny Landham <laughs> is a bad motherfucker, dude. I would never fuck with that guy. Oh, dude. Like, you know it's bad when you hear stories about Arnold saying, yeah, uh, Sonny he's Landham, crazy. he's crazy. He's crazy. He's crazy. He's really crazy. <laughs> Arnold, you're telling me this guy's crazy? <laughs> like, okay, so. He's crazy. Predator, the best. Like, you know shit is real when Sonny Landham screams like a bitch when he gets <laughs> killed by the Predator at the end. You're like, oh, shit. I remember seeing that film. Okay, so I didn't see that in the theaters. True, true shit. I was scared of that trailer. Do you remember that trailer where the heat vision came up? The score was the the heartbeat of everybody. I, oh, yeah. When I was a kid, I was like 10 years old when that trailer came out. I was fucking scared of that trailer. But then when I watched the movie, I was even more scared. When you see Sonny Landham, who fucking was a fucking badass, and he dies screaming, you knew shit was real. Oh, yeah, for sure, because he's such a badass. <laughs> I remember. You know, I mean, throughout <laughs> the entire movie, up to that point, you're like, this guy's not going to kill. He's such a fucking hard ass. There's no way. And when he gives himself up and you're like, wait, that's even more. He's even more of a hard ass for doing that. There's no way. This is crazy. Like, I remember when I, like me and my best friend, like my dad, like my dad and my mom got divorced and it was around that time. Like, like the McTiernan, the McTiernan trilogy of Predator, Die Hard, 
and Hunt for Red October were like indelibly about divorce for me because my parents got divorced during that time frame. But wait, what year was that? Um, so sure. Predator was eighty seven. Die Hard so late eighties, late eighties, early nineties. Exactly. Yeah, my parents separated like in the mid nineties. So yeah. Funny thing is, is that I remember watching Predator for the first time. VHS. Exactly. Like, I, but like you said, though, I do remember seeing that trailer. Like I can't remember if it was on TV or what, but I remember distinctly like hiding behind my dad's like chair he used to sit in, and I was like, I don't know if I want to watch this trailer, and I'll like peek around and like watch parts of it, and maybe I'll listen to the rest of it because it sounds really scary. <laughs> exactly. So, but, but but I'm interested. I want to see it. Exactly. <laughs> but so, I'm scared. <laughs> My favorite part is that I distinctly remember when Arnold like he, the... he goes Lord of the Flies. Man. Exactly. I remember. Like, when I was a kid and my friend, like, my dad lived with, the, like, these group of, like, um, divorced dads. And I remember, like, like my best friend Greg was there. When we saw, he, like, he figured out that the mud would cover his heat signature. Which is totally, totally bullshit. But, yeah, it's, it's great. It's <laughs> exactly. Great, sure. We went, holy shit, this motherfucker is going to kill the Predator. And then he pulls a fucking Home Alone, dude. He literally pulls a Home Alone before Home Alone (laughs) in nature. (laughs) And you got to love the 80s, man, because he builds all this shit in like 30 minutes. The best part is, is that you believed it as a kid. Never mind the fact that our dads let us watch this shit. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. I watched so much, especially because, like you mentioned, you're, you know, a product of divorce. And so am I. My dad let me watch so much shit that's like... Oh my god, I watched that when I was that age? I would never let my kids watch that right now. <laughs> exactly! Like, my dad let me watch Blood and Blood Out, the director's cut. <laughs> and I'm, like, thinking to myself, like, like I literally want to have a conversation with my dad now and go, Motherfucker, you let me watch Blood in, Blood Out, the director's right. cut. You do know what that means. And you let me watch American Me. Like, prison <laughs> films that no kid under the age of 18 should watch. Right, exactly. But, like, the best part was was that when he goes fucking Lord of the Flies, it's like you literally sat there and I remember me and my my best friend Greg literally cheering as he's making all of these, like, Bow and arrows, these staffs it, that have yeah, it was the it was the 80s montage era of where he like does his thing where he's builds the huge somehow he cuts down a tree and has a huge log, you know, and then he does all this other stuff and like like we've all we've said before, he did all this in like, you know, in half an hour or you know, two hours or something. Seriously, <laughs> what the somehow. fuck, dude? Like and the predator's <laughs> just like leave him alone. The predator's like, let me give you some time to build all this shit. <laughs> It's going to take you, like, you know, six months to build all this shit, but I'm going to give you time to build all this shit. (laughs) I'll come back when you're ready, okay? Just tell me when you're ready. Absolutely. Like... <laughs> all myself, with all no my... equipment or anything. Yeah, no, no matter the fucking Carl Action Jackson Weathers gets, oh fucking, gets fucking killed. Bill, a raging Harlem Duke gets fucking... Dude, dude. Bow down. Tell like, me about the the best arrangement of Billy Badasses ever on screen, dude. <laughs> Would it, seriously you know, you put, put all those guys up like in a lineup? 
put them up against anyone else. Is anyone going to fuck with that crew? Other than the Predator, obviously. No one. No, no one. one, dude. No one to fuck with that crew. Like Especially my... Jesse Ventura, dude. <laughs> I'm, dug in, I'm dug in like a goddamn Alabama tick. <laughs> I ain't got time to bleed. I'm yeah, like, I ain't got time to bleed. <laughs> like, I literally sit there he and go. He his dip on that guy's leg, too. Or oh his my... foot. <laughs> <laughs> so, to be honest, like, fucking Predator is, like, the dirty dozen for our generation. Like, uh, like oh, let's yeah. be honest. Like, like you're watching these guys, and it's like, everybody, everybody is fucking Charlie Bronson and Jim Brown for our generation. I mean, we watch Jesse the Body Ventura. Like, you literally have to stop and appreciate the fact that the guy's name is... The Body. Is the Body Ventura. And they're all fucking, they're all fucking scared of an alien with dreadlocks. Like, that that's like the best, like, you can't, you, like, even nowadays, you can't fucking get any better than the Predator. Exactly. I, I, it's just, like, the only way that you get better is just completely, like, like, I was, I was talking to somebody once about this. I'm like, you can't get any better than McTiernan's Predator, Die Hard, and The Hunt for Red October. How the fuck can you top that? Like, The Hunt for Red October, for me, is ounce for ounce one of the best action dramas, espionage films ever. Yeah, for sure. Fucking Sean Connery sitting there fucking just being the man with these monologues. I mean, you watch The Hunt for Red October, and all it is is fucking Alec... Ba okay, so, like, seriously, like, let's stop and appreciate the fact that John McTiernan makes Alec Baldwin an action star. When yeah, did, you, exactly. did you did you know that um this is the funniest thing to me is that did you know that the hunt for Red October originally was cast with Harrison Ford as the Jack Ryan character? No, he eventually played it right mm -hmm. well, later, right? Yeah, with uh, Patriot Games and uh, Patriot Clear Games Present and yeah, Clear Present Danger, yeah, for sure. Oh, so like, let's stop and appreciate also Clear Present Danger, fucking Willem Dafoe playing an action star we're going through kind of a, a defoe assance almost you know what i mean with the lighthouse and what else has he done recently um, it just seems like Florida he's, in Project? The, he's in the consciousness right now fucking oh he was great in uh the the damn it what was the movie where he played a, a painter he was great in the florida project too though that was phenomenal <laughs> platoon oh don't don't tell me the the name of that movie because I, I just remembered it what's up it is at eternity's gate is what it is Yes, he plays Vincent Van Gogh. An amazing renaissance. I mean, like, we have a, we've talked about The Lighthouse and how amazing the fucking Lighthouse is. I mean, we actually talked it is. about it's it. It's one of those movies that, like, when I first watched it, it was one of those things where I watched it with Jess, and I love Jess so much, And but she only has patience for certain types of movies, and that was just one of those movies where she was like, this is just a little bit too weird for me. <laughs> so it felt... <laughs> It colored my experience the first time, and then I went back and rewatched it, and I was like, oh my god, he is so good in this. And I don't want to take away from Pattinson, who was, you know, let's talk about him. I mean, he's, the type of movies he's taken on since the Twilight series, he has shown he wants to make movies that he enjoys the story, and he enjoys basically everything behind the movie, you know what I mean? Oh, absolutely. When they were interviewing him about Batman, they were talking about his voice. And he was like so 
what did you like? Is there anything that you can give us about Batman? And he goes, yeah, um, my voice is inspired by Willem Dafoe. I was like, holy shit. This fucking... Yeah, and that makes me excited about it. And like, if anyone else would have taken that role, and I love Ben Affleck and stuff, but I wasn't a huge, huge fan of his take on Batman. Oh, Even fuck though no. I like him, I like him a lot. I really do. But I don't think he shines in that type of movie at all. Oh, no. Just, and that might be a hot take or something, but I just don't think he shines in that type of movie. When I see someone like Pattinson, I've seen the trajectory and the thing that he's taken on since you know, the Twilight series. It makes me hopeful because if anyone else would have been in that role, I don't think I would have even cared to see the movie. And now I'm like, I really want to see that really bad now because I think he's going to bring something different to it. With the light, like going back to the lighthouse, it's it's weird because you watch it for the first time and you're just fucking genuinely shocked by how good not just the the acting is but the writing is. Yeah. With because it's a twofer. It's just literally Willem Dafoe and Robert Pattinson in this face-off of acting ability and you would think that Robert Pattinson would be buried by fucking by fucking Willem Dafoe because he's fucking Willem Dafoe. I mean, and like, he, he's not though. He really isn't. I mean, no. the stuff that Pattinson's doing. I mean, there's so many scenes in that movie where I'm like he is absolutely fucking going for it here. They're both and he doesn't going get as much it. credit. Yeah, I mean, they're both going for it big time. But you know, he gets overshadowed a bit by Dafoe. But he really is going. I mean, the scene where he's jerking off. I mean. <laughs> It's a really bizarre scene. Yes. But he's going for it, man. It's really weird to think that over the 40 years that Willem Dafoe has been an actor, that... Now, now think about think about that. 40 years, dude. That guy's been in the consciousness acting that long. And, and been relevant for 40 fucking years. Yeah. Has he I, won an Oscar? No. That's the thing I was going to say is that this motherfucker has not won a single goddamn Oscar. Like, that's, that's crazy. crazy. That's crazy. I mean, just let alone for Platoon. Like, like you would think that in 86, Platoon, that moment of zeitgeist of, like, the, the Christ figure, like, moment. Like, I mean, we all remember, like, we watch, like... I think it was about three years ago I watched Platoon and I saw that Christ moment where he like spreads his arm out and the the opera is playing and it's just crescendoed and it's just it's this moment of like that's the moment it the movie builds to uh, Platoon that this guy who like literally is is in the war because he loves humanity and he wants to save a little bit of humanity and literally sits there and watches humanity crushed and he doesn't win the Oscar. It, but, I mean, you literally think about that over and over and again and go, fuck, this guy didn't win the Oscar even though he's literally the poster and the reason why everybody has seen Platoon is that moment of his hands out into the open and like being shot down by by the Viet Cong and 
there's no Oscar. He, I think Michael, like, who the fuck won in 86? I don't know. But you, you sit there and you go, there's so many good goddamn performances and none of them win. Um, was he this... nominated for that one? Yeah. Oh, definitely. It was between him and Tom Berenger. And who won in 86? I'm actually looking that up right now. It uh, was uh, Don Amici. Yep. It was for, Don Amici uh, for fucking Cocoon. 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 Really? Dude. Cocoon. That's another movie. Oh, my God. I haven't seen that in forever. I do want to ask, like, since we've been in this uh, crazy quarantine type thing, we've been talking for a while now. So what is one of the best you know movies you've revisited or, or you've seen for the first time? During the, the this quarantine thing. Why don't you go first? Well, I don't know if it was necessarily the best film I saw, but let me tell you about the best. I went on a crazy run of movies um, all in one night, and mm-hmm. I watched uh, Point Break, the last, <laughs> Boy, the last Boy Scout, 48 Hours, and one other movie I can't think of off the top of my head. But it was a great uh, – Tango and Cash. And – that was a great run of they aren't the best movies, but I watched them all together and man, all those movies work so great as a, you know, quadruple feature. Invisible man. Fuck. Invisible oh, yeah, man is a sure. fucking great film. Lee Winnell, man. I mean, I cannot wait to see what he does next. I mean, his, his run from upgrade to invisible man. I just want to see him take on, it would be great to see him, I don't really, like I've said before, I don't necessarily care for rehashes, remakes, and stuff like that, but mm-hmm. to see him take on, like, maybe RoboCop or something. Oh, damn, can you imagine dude. His history with Upgrade and now Invisible Man. I feel like he could bring something to RoboCop that would just be interesting. You know what I mean? Oh, shit, dude. Like, I don't want anything but fucking RoboCop. I'm Lee Winnell. Holy shit. Lee Winnell presents RoboCop. I mean, come on. Tell me you don't want to see that right now. Seriously. With, like, okay. So, I have to ask. Who do you see as RoboCop, though? Oh, man. See, that's that's really tough. I mean, I don't, you know, I don't know. Um, I don't know. I mean, to be honest, just just because what he did in Upgrade, I could see the lead of Upgrade. Um, what's his name? Oh, Oliver Jackson Cohen. No, 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 I'm talking about the guy that did that was in Upgrade. Oh, uh, Logan Marshall Green. I, I could see him taking on uh, RoboCop <sighs> just because of what he did with with Upgrade. Like I said, Upgrade and RoboCop do have a lot of similarities in in a weird way. They do no. just because it's man machine kind of together you know i could see that kind of working in his chemistry with um lee winnell i mean he's not a huge star or anything like that um you could say someone like robert pattinson or you know someone else we've talked about before but i think logo marshall green would actually be a good good fit right no absolutely i think that uh like no 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 totally that that would be the perfect choice because peter weller wasn't a star so no and he really wasn't he really never was like a really big star to be honest i mean he had robocop and like shakedown and stuff like that but it was nothing (laughs) 
he was never really like a big guy. As no, far no. As star, stardom goes. He was kind of like a logo Marshall Green. No, absolutely. I think that that's a perfect choice. So, what was the movie? Okay, so you got to come up with something. I I said my cra- crazy uh, quadruple feature. So, so what's what really tickled your fancy as far as like movies you've seen recently? Hmm. Pick something. You, you said Invisible Man. Pick something that's a little bit older. Give our viewer something or our listener something that's a little bit older that you've rewatched, maybe. Volunteers. <laughs> oh, okay. Um, nice. That's another HBO Go thing, which no. is great because I'm I'm gonna pop that on probably tomorrow. Hanging out around the house, just doing some stuff and taking care of the kiddos. That's something I can throw on the background and. It's entertaining. You got, you know, Tom Hanks doing his typical, you know, 80s everyman type thing, which is great. We said with, you know, I love, you know, Tom Hanks taking on everything he's done in, you know, the past, you know, 20 years doing a lot of his serious stuff. But um, it's, you know, his 80s work that I love so much. 80s and, you know, early 90s for sure. I'm going to do uh, Volunteers and A Wonderful Day in the Neighborhood. Because it's beginning of career and up to this point career. Volunteers, because I fucking love it. it. There's something about early Tom Hanks that it feels like it's this Tom Hanks that I think that people don't expect. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Volunteers is this movie where he literally plays this like asshole kind of not expected. He's not playing the typical tom hanks 80s role he's got a little bit more of an edge to him um which you don't see him playing you know because he's usually an everyman which he kind of is but he's more of a ne'er-do-well type guy so it's you know kind of a change for him which i liked no absolutely and it's got john candy too and you've got to love john candy for sure oh rest in peace uh, john candy and i've got to say something real quick about john candy if you haven't read the book Wild and Crazy Guys, that's it's basically a, a document of all of the guys that came out of SNL and the um, what's the the similar thing that was in Canada at the time SCTV. around SNL SCTV. yeah SCTV mm-hmm. you know all it, it's it's about all those guys that came out of the, those two different you know formats. It's a great document and the book is highly entertaining but it goes into like how john candy was just he was full of life you know he would have these big parties at his house and have everybody come over and he would cook for everybody and you know drink till all hours of the night but he seemed like not only was he just a really cool guy on screen that you feel like you you kind of felt every john candy performance you felt like you were there with him you know what i mean because he Mm -hmm. really did feel like an everyman but it seemed like he, you know, because people are different, you know, these actors are different in real life. He seemed like he was kind of like that in real life, too, at least based on what I read. And the second film I would recommend is A Wonderful Day in the Neighborhood. Oh, man, that that, that movie gutted me. I mean, I know it, it, it's, it was made to do that on purpose, and it, it's purposely trying to pull at heartstrings, and, you know, it's purposely a little bit manipulative in how it's trying to make you feel. But it totally worked for me. I mean, I'm not someone that gets very emotional with with movies, but that movie. I mean, his performance and the stuff with his, you know, because I have some some issues with my dad too, and the stuff that he's going on with the journalist and his dad and how he treats that. It's so realistic and 
man, it hit close to home, and it was so his performance, so nuanced, so good. And I think in any other year too, like he probably would have been a shoe in to win. There's just that was one of those years where there was a lot of candidates that were, you know, given their best performance of their career, pretty much. Absolutely, absolutely. And with that, it feels like we've come to an end of this amazing look at what we've been watching over the last couple of weeks. Yeah, I think we gave uh, you know all the listeners. <laughs> you know, a plethora of different random choices. You know, a lot of this stuff streaming, it, you know, of course, we want to push everyone to pick up physical media if they possibly can. But, you know, most of the stuff that we've discussed, we've discussed, you know, 50 plus movies, I'm sure most of them are all streaming. So, you know, if people, you know, have the ability to to stream, obviously, they can pick up most of these movies that way. Absolutely. And with that, we will talk to you soon.